Hey listeners, thanks for dropping in. I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. Welcome back to Buried Motives. We're so glad you're joining us today. We really are. And if this is your first time checking us out, we hope you enjoy. And if you're a long-time listener, thank you so much. We appreciate you. So what have you got today for us, Christy? Because you said this is a little different than we've ever covered before. It is. How many different scenarios for murder can you actually have? I think we've done pretty well finding different types of murderers and cases. And we always want to bring something... A little bit different than the last case, even though Melissa and I often sync up and have similar cases. That's just what I was thinking. There are so many times that you present a case and then I'm like, but that's kind of in my case too. Right. And that's the risk we take because we don't tell each other the details until we're recording. Yeah. But this one definitely is a unique case. So I wanted to start with a question for you. Do you think that it is possible for a person to not be criminally responsible for purposefully murdering another human being? Well, yeah, we've done a couple of cases like that where they're actually declared mentally insane and they're not criminally responsible, even though they purposely try to kill somebody. Okay, what if they're not criminally insane? Yes, only because I've got a case like that just in the works. (laughs) Oh man, we're doing it again. (laughs) Okay, but really you want me to say, no, how does that happen? (laughs) No, I really wanted to know what you you thought. No, I think it totally can happen. Well, and I feel like it kind of happens in this case. In the case that we're going to discuss, the murderer is not the one who I would call a dirtbag. That title is reserved for someone else in the story. Is it the victim? No, it's not the victim. Oh, Our murderer is a 14-year-old girl who was grossly manipulated by her dirtbag father into killing his wife, her stepmother, in cold blood. Oh. Today's case has so many twists and turns that it's almost hard to believe that these events happened in real life and not just on a movie screen. Was she the evil stepmother? No. She was lovely. There was nothing wrong with this woman. But I am curious what your thoughts will be about this case when we're finished going through the details. Sometimes some of the cases you present to me, I feel like I should have a notepad, jotting down notes as you tell them to me. (laughs) (laughs) You might need that for this one. It's a simple case, but there's a lot going on in this case. I'm intrigued. Well, let's get into it then. So to start this case, we can't really start with the murderer. We're not going to start with the 14-year-old girl. No, you have to start with the dirtbag dad. That's right. So we absolutely need to start with the biggest dirtbag in this entire case, the murderer's father, David Arnold Brown. Subsequently, I'll be going into more of his background rather than his daughter's because her motive for murder was to please her father. She was a daddy's girl? She was more so manipulated by her father. Which just makes it that much worse. Like he wasn't even willing to do the crime himself. He had to put it off on a 14-year-old child. Yeah, and subject her to that trauma that she would then have to live with for the rest of her life. And have to face all the consequences that come along with that. Yeah. That's just crazy. It totally is. No Father of the Year award over here. David's father was Arthur Quinton Brown. He was born in 1920 in Kansas. He was a PFC, which is a private first class rank in the U.S. Army, and served in the Second World War. David's mother was Manuela Estrada Brown. She was born in 1925 in El Paso County, Texas. 
According to her gravestone inscription, she also served in World War II, but I couldn't find any information on exactly what she did while serving. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. In 1946, Manuela gave birth to their first child, David's older brother, named after his father, Arthur Quinton Brown. So he was junior. Which is interesting. That would have been after the war, right? He was a celebration baby. I guess so. <laughs> Probably, actually. Yeah. David was born six years later, on November 16, 1952. The family were then living in Phoenix, Arizona. When David was around six years old in 1959, his mother gave birth to his younger sister, Linda Sue Brown. Sadly, she died the same day she was born. Oh, there's a lot of space in between those babies, too. There is. I wonder if they have fertility issues. Well, not if his older brother was a celebration baby. And I don't know, maybe she had had some miscarriages Mm -hmm. because this baby dies the day that she's born. Yeah, it's quite possible. Yeah, there could have been some, some babies lost in between there. In 1962, when David was 10 years old, his older brother, who was 16 at the time, also died, leaving David as an only child, and his parents never had any more children after that. That poor mother. I know. I mean, poor father, too. Yeah, they really are put through the ringer that way. And I was curious as well how these events possibly affected David. At six years old, he would have been able to pick up on the grief and sadness happening in his family home. And he would have likely been devastated at the impressionable young age of 10 to lose his older brother, who I'm sure he probably looked up to. Yeah. I feel like that age gap is just large enough to look up to your older sibling with admiration rather than disdain. Yeah. At 10, you still adore your older siblings. Yeah. You think they're the coolest thing ever. That's right. So does it say anywhere of how he emotionally took that? No, I couldn't find any information about that. Do you already see signs that he can't establish attachments? No, not at all. That was just my own speculation that this had to have affected him. Mm -hmm. Because to go from, you know, this older brother to all of a sudden an only child. And you've already, even at age six, when his sister was born and then died the same day, I'm sure that could have affected him. Just Mm -hmm. who knows how his mom handled that. The feeling in the home at that time. No fault to the parents. The family were living in San Bernito County, California, when Arthur Jr. passed. And like you said, I feel so bad for David's parents to lose two children and then to live long enough to see what their one remaining child would eventually become is heartbreaking. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. So they lose their other two children and then find out that their only son left is a dirtbag. That is harsh. Mm -hmm. As far as I could tell, David lived a good life. There were no reports of abuse or bullying or things we would normally see in a murderer. His motive later to have his wife killed is selfishness and greed. And I wonder if that was just something he was used to after becoming the only child at age 10. Oh, true story. Again, my own speculation, but I'm sure his parents would have doted on him even more so because they had already lost two other children. That wouldn't be a big leap to make. And he would have been, up until his brother's death, been the baby of the family. Right. And they are always coddled. (laughs) I'm the oldest, so I can say that. (laughs) And I'm the middle child. But my baby sister listens to our podcast, so (laughs) she might have something else to say about that. (laughs) Shout out to you, sister. (laughs) But again, that's only my speculation. Mm -hmm. Just trying to like learn about his childhood and make sense of some of the significant things that happened. David would grow up to be financially successful. He was said to be a computer whiz. He started out working as a consultant for Signal Hill computer firm called RandomX, but eventually began his own data recovery business when computers were just first coming out. 
Rumor is that at first he just washed the floppy disks to recover them and made a bundle of money doing so. I did actually read that he was a millionaire, that he was making lots of money, but he was a computer whiz. It couldn't have been just him washing the disks, but I just thought that was kind of funny to add in there. Well, he had to be a whiz to figure out that that's all he needed to do if other people were going through more extensive methods to clear the disks. Right. Even if he did start that way, he did continue to run a successful business. So I'm sure there was more to it than just that. Despite his bundles of money, David's personal life was not so successful. He was married six times. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. I couldn't find a lot about all of his marriages, but on July 3rd, 1970, his beautiful daughter, Cinnamon Darlene Brown, was born at 6.30 p.m. in Torrance, California. Her mother is Brenda Sands and was David's wife at the time that Cinnamon was born. Cinnamon would eventually grow up to commit the ultimate sin for her father. While in between wives, David was living next to a single mother of 11 children named Ethel. Their home was a chaotic one. With 11 kids, how could it not be? Right? David, being the disgusting pig that he was, was interested in the single mother's underage daughters. What? Mm-hmm. Ew. We're going to take a turn here. David always had lots of quote-unquote illnesses, and at that moment, he was faking having cancer. Even that in itself, to fake having cancer, this is just showing us what kind of person and character that David is. Yeah, total dirtbag. Yeah. You don't joke about having cancer. No. He decided to approach the single mother and explain to her that with him being so sick with cancer that he was having a hard time keeping up with his housework. He asked if her daughter Linda could come over on a regular basis and help him with the household chores. Linda's mother agreed. She was struggling to make ends meet and this would have been helpful to their situation. Linda's younger sister would also come along sometimes. Ugh. Linda Marie Bailey was only 13 when she started to spend time at David's home. She was born on August 26, 1961, and was almost 10 years younger than David. Reportedly, David dated Linda's older sister for a while too, but he must have liked them younger because he soon started to quote-unquote date Linda. He would have been around 23, and Linda was only 13. Just disgusting. Yeah. And he's almost 10 years older. Like sometimes because of their birth dates, he's nine years older. Yep. But mostly I refer to him as being 10 years older, depending on the time. So wrap your head around that, that the age span between him and this child is the same as the child and his daughter. Right. Oh, that's Yeah, weird. right in the middle. But it's going to get worse. Just wait. Okay. By the time Linda turned 17, she had decided that she wanted to marry David. Because she was underage, she had to get written permission from her mother, which she gave. So she must not have thought he was that bad of a guy then. Well, he was really wealthy already. He had oh. this successful business. He could take care of her daughter. This is a single mom in a chaotic home. I read in one report that she had a drinking problem. So it was not a stable environment. And she probably thought, great, someone can take care of one of my kids. Well, and for Linda, it would be a way to escape that chaotic environment. Right. So the pair were married in Las Vegas in 1979. However, at one point, the couple divorced. Maybe he found her immature because she was only a child and he was pushing 30. And she was 17. Yeah. So that's, again, my speculation. But they weren't married for very long. They got divorced. And I thought, yeah, well, when you take someone who's getting close to 30 and someone who's not 20 yet, that's a big age gap for that time in your life, for that developmental time. Yeah, true. But maybe it wasn't all that she dreamed it would be either. 
And I'm not exactly sure how long they stayed divorced, but by the early 1980s, David and Linda were married for the second time. So Linda actually accounts for two of his six marriages. Okay. So six marriages, five women. And sorry, which number was she? I don't think he would have gotten married in between. So she would have been number four and five. Number four and five. Yeah. So by 23, he had been married three times? Apparently. Wow. Yep. All I could find out was about Brenda. Right. Cinnamon's mom. But even with that, I couldn't find a lot of details about their marriage. He was a love him and leave him kind of guy. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> or maybe all the women left him because they realized he was a dirtbag. Or he just wanted to move on to the next younger thing. True. Ugh. He's kind of a gross human being, oh. as you'll find out, as we're already talking about. Because let's face it, when he was dating her at 13, like he's a pedophile. Yes. Like yeah. how was that okay? It's not. After being married for the second time, the couple settled into a nice house in Garden Grove, California at 12551 Ocean Breeze Drive. So now they're in a nicer neighborhood. Soon after they moved in, Linda's younger sister, Patricia, who went by Patty, moved in with them. Patty was only 11 years old and was being molested by a family member. Oh. I read that it was her brother. And so she probably thinks she's going to a better place. Yeah. So the couple wanted to let her come and live with them to help save her from this other family member who was molesting her. Linda would have thought that she was helping to protect her little sister, but it did not take long for her beloved husband, David, to start assaulting her little sister as well. Which is just so sad that Patty would have thought that she was escaping one abuser just to walk into the house of another abuser. Mm -hmm. He started out grooming her first. He started telling her that he wanted to marry her one day and that he loved her more than her sister. The assault started with him groping her, but by the time Patty was 15, they were having sex regularly behind Linda's back. Oh. And again, let's just call this what it is. He was essentially raping his wife's little sister inside the walls of the home they shared together. That is awful. Yeah, by the time she was 15. And how old is Cinnamon at this time? Cinnamon would have been like 12 at the time. Pretty disgusting. Mm Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm shaking my head, listeners. You can't see me shake my head, but (laughs) oh, gross. Uh Uh-huh. Sadly, Patty would later say about this abuse that she was so starved for attention that David's advances made her feel special. I read that he had started to fondle Patty before she even moved in, as young as the age of seven. What? Mm -hmm. But he started to do it regularly once she moved into their home. Oh, yeah, because it was easy access now. Yeah. That's awful. And as a woman being married, you're not going to think your husband's going to be abusing an 11-year-old girl in your home, like your little sister. No. And obviously, Linda isn't that worldly either because she's not that old. And so that would be the furthest thing from her mind. She would have been thinking that she's the special one. Like he loved her when she was younger just because it was her. Not that he has this perversion for younger girls. For sure. Did he ever molest his own daughter? No. No. She never reported that he did. Hmm. But all of this clearly means, again, that David was a pedophile. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 100%. By this time, to make it even worse, Linda had given birth to her and David's daughter, Crystal. And David's first daughter had come to live with them as well. So just to recap, there were five people living in the house. David, his wife Linda, his teenage sister-in-law Patty, David's daughter from a previous marriage named Cinnamon, and David and Linda's baby together, Crystal. Okay. For more context before we start to discuss the murder, David was almost 33 years old, Linda was 23, Patty was 17, Crystal was a baby, and Cinnamon was only 14. 
and I just cannot even fathom how David could be assaulting a girl only three years older than his own daughter. That is unbelievable. But I am starting to see how this soap opera is going to play out because Patty's going to want her man and have to remove her sister. Yep. And David's going to want Patty. And so Linda is now an obstacle. Exactly. But if either one of them commit the murder, then they might lose the opportunity to be together. And so now Cinnamon is going to play a role, right? Dun, dun, dun. Uh. (laughs) I like to guess the ending. And you're pretty good at it. (laughs) It is like a soap opera, like you were saying. It's like a movie. Yeah, it's hard to believe that this happened in real life and not Mm -hmm. just on the TV screen. But what a slimy dirtbag. Like, ugh. And what a manipulator. He has now manipulated all of these girls in his house. Yeah. And she might be a woman now, but she was his child bride. Mm-hmm. Dirtbag. Totally. And he's going for younger girls because he can groom them. He can manipulate them easier than a full-grown woman. Well, he probably does it absolutely purposely. Yeah. David was said to still suffer from an array of ailments. However, his cancer had been miraculously cured. Because it never existed. Right. Misdiagnosis, maybe? <laughs> but that's giving this dirtbag too much benefit of the doubt. Exactly. He does it, not deserve that. Yeah. <laughs> But because of all his illnesses, he had a medicine cabinet filled with different pills and medications. And so I'm not sure if he was actually of poor health or if he was maybe even a hypochondriac. Like maybe he wasn't faking them, but maybe he just thought that he had all these different things. But this will play into our story. A couple of years before Linda's murder, David started to groom his child mistress and daughter that Linda and her twin brother Alan were plotting to kill him for his money. This is a long scheme. He starts a couple of years before the murder happens. He said they wanted to get their hands on his property and his business. There is no truth to this at all. He was lying to start planting seeds into their young, impressionable minds. Cinnamon was his daughter, and Patty was in love with him, so they believed what he was telling them. Totally setting the scene. Yeah. Because then it justifies his actions. Yeah, he just blows my mind. Slyly, he began to convince them that the only way to spare his life would be for the girls to take Linda's. He said he couldn't do it himself because he didn't have the stomach for it. He was squeamish around blood. I hate that excuse. I know. (laughs) Nobody cares, David. If you're squeamish around blood, maybe you shouldn't be killing somebody. (laughs) Not that you should if you're not squeamish around (laughs) blood. I shouldn't put a little note in there, a little asterisk. But yeah, come on, David. No. I think he just wanted to keep his hands clean. Absolutely. Yeah. That way he wasn't going to jail. For sure. David might have told Cinnamon and Patty that Linda wanted to kill him for his money, but reality was that he was the one wanting to kill her for that very reason. Did she have life insurance? Yep. And so that he could finally be with his underage sister-in-law. Mm-hmm. David knew that he couldn't take out one large insurance policy on his young wife without looking suspicious. So he secretly took out multiple policies on her life leading up to her murder. They try to be clever. They try. Mm -hmm. And he almost does get away with this. He took out a minimum of five different policies on Linda's life, totaling the sum of $842,793. In today's terms, that would be worth over two and a quarter million U.S. dollars. That's a good chunk of change. It is. He also took out a policy on his daughter, Cinnamon, without her knowing. Oh, now I'm thinking. (laughs) Another little twist you were expecting. (laughs) To help convince the two teenage girls to kill his wife, he told Patty in secret that he wanted to marry her. He told Cinnamon that she should be the one to kill Linda because she was the youngest and wouldn't get into too much trouble. He told her she would likely just have to see a psychiatrist. 
Cinnamon was not aware of her father's relationship with Patty at the time and believed that this was the only way to save his life. He had completely brainwashed the two girls. That is awful. Mm -hmm. He played to their emotions. Mm -hmm. He knew how to manipulate them because he had to manipulate them differently. With Cinnamon, it had to be, you're my daughter. You need to help save me or they're going to murder me. And then with Patty, I want to be with you. You're my love of my life. We have to get rid of her. She's going to kill me if you don't help me. That is just so sad. Yeah. He should be protecting his daughter, not throwing her under the bus. Right. Not even just throwing her under the bus, but setting her up. Yeah. I can't even imagine like being 14 years old, maybe out camping with my dad and we hear a noise and he's like, Christy, go check that out. Go protect me. Go see what's out in the bushes. Yeah. Never. Never. He would make sure I was safe and then he would check it out. Yeah. Like that's how a dad should be. So selfish. Yeah, that's what I said. Selfishness and greed are mm-hmm. his motives in this whole case. And what did he need the extra money for? I don't know. He wanted more. And I think he just wanted her out of the way. She was 23. She was she was aging out of the program. Yep. And he wanted to freely be with Patty mm-hmm. until the next young thing came around. And was it the twin brother that molested Patty? I don't know. Because if he was, then maybe that's why he said Alan and Linda. Yeah. And that's why Patty would go along with it. Right? That's true. If Alan was the one doing that, then Patty would especially believe Mm -hmm. that this monster would kill him as well. That's right. So you're just playing on those people's roles, right? Mm -hmm. This is already a villain in her eyes. And so she's just, now I'm going to associate you with this other person. So by association, she must be a villain too. Yeah, that's a good thought. I never thought of that. I was assuming he picked Alan because they were twins. They would have had a bond and been close. Yeah. So it would have been easy to believe that her twin brother would help her. Yeah, that's true too. Yeah. So hard to say. On March 19th, 1985, David decided that that was the night to put their plan into action. His young wife had to die. He woke up the teen girls and told them tonight was the night. He said, if you really loved me, you'll do this for me, which is totally psychological blackmail. Absolutely. And was there anything that made this night different than any other? Nope. He just was like, he woke them up. Tonight's the night. And even to wake them up out of a dead sleep, they would be disorientated and not have their full, like, thinking brains on. Right. I don't think he really wanted them to know the date ahead of time because it would have given them time to maybe change their minds. Well, and think about it, right? He woke them up in the dead of the night so that they couldn't have their full faculties about them to actually think this through and be like, oh, this isn't a good idea. But if you're woken up in the dead of the night, you've already got your adrenaline running because you've been woken up with a start. And then you have to protect your dad. Like you would be moving into that fight or flight. For sure you would. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's just such a manipulator. He gave them a handgun and told them that it needed to be done before he got home. So he's putting this pressure, this panic. Here's the gun. It has to be done before I get home. And where's he going? Well, he leaves the house to establish an alibi. He stopped at a Circle K convenience store and bought some snacks and comic books. He first bought a Dr. Pepper and a Hostess brand apple pie, but then went back in to purchase the four comic books. He made sure to laugh with the clerk about being an adult who still buys comics. Oh yeah, so it can be memorable. Yep. He then drove to a beach and waited for the deed to be done. Before coming home, he stopped at an all-night breakfast restaurant called Denny's in Newport Beach to use the washroom. He didn't eat there, but he just wanted to make sure that people saw him out during the time that the murder was taking place. He purposely remembered what one of the Denny's waitresses looked like so that he could tell police that, oh, I was in Denny's and this is what the waitress looked like and it would check out. 
You're really seeing some of his intelligence come through. Yeah. Again, wasted. Mm -hmm. He would later tell police that he couldn't sleep because he had bickered with his wife. And so that was why he went for a drive to give himself time to think. So clever. Right? So now he's already caught me like, yeah, we were fighting, but I left the house and here's my alibi for it. Yeah. So they can't even push that motive on him because he's already copying to it. Right. He's saying we got into an argument. I couldn't sleep. So I left the house. And the Circle K employee could corroborate that, yes, he was there, Mm -hmm. could confirm that. And by him describing the Denny's waitress, they would go check it out and find out, yes, this lady who looks like this was working that night. And by copying to something that isn't fairy tale, right? Mm -hmm. Then he appears like he's being upfront with the police, right? Like, actually, we were fighting. Yes. He's not saying, oh, things were just totally great. That's right. So he's establishing some credibility with them. Mm -hmm. I can hardly fathom what was going through Cinnamon's mind at the time after her father woke her up. But she did, in fact, carry out her father's orders. She went into the room where Linda laid asleep and shot her close range in the chest. Linda didn't die at first, and Cinnamon had to shoot her a second time. How did she even know how to shoot a gun? We're going to talk about that. Okay. (laughs) But first, we're going to skip ahead a little bit to when police get the call about Linda being shot. Patrol officer Darrow Halligan got the call at 3.26 a.m., that there was a possible homicide at 12551 Ocean Breeze Drive. So he responds to the call and headed over to investigate. When he entered the residence, he was met by David. David was acting all upset and appeared to have been crying. Patty was also in the room, holding baby Crystal, both crying hysterically. David said to the officer, quote, I think my wife's been shot. She's in the bedroom. I'm afraid to go look. Officer, would you... What? Mm -hmm. So what prompted him to call 911 if he didn't know she had already been shot? Well, of course he knows she's been shot. Oh, I know. But like, that doesn't make sense. Right. And Officer Halligan thought the same thing. He thought it was weird that David hadn't gone to see if his wife was actually shot. Like, wouldn't you rush to go save your wife? Like, to your wife's aid? Absolutely. To see if there was anything you could do? Yeah, you don't even know if they're still alive, if they're dead. As David and Patty continue to loudly cry, the officer goes to check on Linda. When he enters the room, he can hear a gurgling sound. (gasps) She's not dead. He shone his flashlight and sees a woman laying on her back on the bed with a chest full of still wet blood. Her right arm was hanging over the bed and her left hand was up by her ear. Upon inspection, Linda did not appear to be breathing, nor did she have a pulse. He could see that she had expelled blood from her mouth. It was clear that there had not been a struggle. It looked like she had been shot while sleeping. When paramedics arrived, they also thought they heard a gurgle. They tried to revive her, but to no avail. Linda was rushed to the Fountain Valley Community Hospital trauma unit. Air was not reaching her right lung, so they removed the blood that had clotted in the way and started her on three units of blood. When this didn't work, the doctor opened her left chest and reached in to manually massage her heart. Linda Brown was pronounced dead at 4.26 a.m. at 23 years of age so sad. She was transported to the Orange County coroner's office. Her body would be examined, but it was clear that her cause of death was gunshots to the chest. Back at the crime scene, officers found a chrome-plated 38 caliber Smith & Wesson revolver with a two-inch barrel laying on the floor beside the bed. This was the murder weapon. In the laundry room, police discovered an empty glass that appeared to have had water in it and three opened and empty prescription bottles. The prescriptions were two bottles of Darvaset N, which is a painkiller, and one bottle of a diuretic called diazide. Where's Cinnamon? 
Nobody knows where cinnamon is at this point. Okay. David and Patty sung like canaries, telling officers that they thought Linda was murdered by David's daughter, Cinnamon. Patty said she heard gunshots and thought she saw Cinnamon run out the back door. Officers were not able to locate Cinnamon. Patty sat crying, still holding her dead sister's eight-month-old baby. David started to paint a dark picture of his other daughter, Cinnamon, to police. Had she ever been in any trouble before? No. Oh. Ah! I know, right? So maddening. Like, thanks, Dad. Most parents are protective of their children. No, he's like, hmm, she can be my fall guy. Ugh. He told police that Cinny, because that's what he yeah. called her, had gone back and forth between him and his ex-wife for the last 10 years, which I think was true. I think she'd mm. gone back and forth. So she might have had a few issues, but she was not a bad kid. But he said that she had been living with them since the previous fall, continuously. He painted a picture where his daughter was angry and always fighting with his wife, putting him in a hard spot between the two of them. Poor David. Now we have to establish that he's the good guy, so he's going to make everybody have sympathy for him. He told the officers how much he had tried to help his troubled teen. He said, quote, I talked to her about counseling, but she threatened to commit suicide if I forced her into counseling. So now he's dropping the suicide word to put that in their heads. Yeah. He told police that the family had been playing Uno earlier that night. His parents were over visiting, and it was a family favorite game to play. And honestly, who doesn't love Uno? <laughs> Our kids love Extreme Uno, where the cards come flying out at you. Yes, we have that one too. <laughs> it is a good one. He said Cinnamon only played half a game and that Linda was grumpy, so she didn't play. David then informed police that Cinnamon was living in the trailer parked outside the house because Linda had kicked her out. He was painting a picture of contention between the two, where they both resented one another. He said it had gotten to the point where Cinnamon didn't do anything to help around the house. She would just stay in her trailer and come into the house for food and to watch TV. Which is like the classic story of the evil stepmother, right? Mm-hmm. Totally believable. Yeah, and the wicked stepdaughter. Yeah. David said that earlier in the day, he took Cinnamon and Patty to a chiropractic appointment since they had all been in a car accident months prior. He made a point of saying that Cinnamon was even being rude towards Patty. Oh, no, not Patty. He told police that he then stopped on the way home to pick up fast food for everyone, even stopping at different places to make everyone happy. Because he's such a good guy. Yeah, I'm such a good dad. I stopped at multiple places so everyone could get what their little hearts desired. Look how I take care of all these yeah. women in my family. Right? All the while knowing that he was picking up his wife's last meal. Oh, sometimes you just want to, like, punch these guys. Smack. <laughs> right? David then told police that his mother had argued with Linda about how she was parenting Crystal before they went home around 9 p.m. This altercation, he claimed, was what caused a fight between himself and Linda later. Hence why he couldn't sleep and was out driving at the time of the heinous murder. He's thought about this for some time. Well, he started even grooming the girls to do this two years prior. And who knows how long before that that he did it as well. And he would have been smart to know to not take out all the policies just right before. Like he probably wanted them to be in place for a while. And so is it a true story that his parents were over the night before and that they had played Uno and that Linda hadn't played? Like, does he use his parents as an alibi or a collaborator? Yeah, I believe that part was true. Oh, okay. And Patty had said like Cinnamon only played half of the night because she got mad because she kept losing. So she stopped playing. So he is putting in some truth what he's saying. And I think even by telling them like, oh, we went to the chiropractor so they can check that and be like, OK, yeah, he was at the chiropractor. 
Yeah, he's you know? establishing that he's a reputable guy. Right. There would be the fast food containers in the garbage still because that's what they ate for dinner that night. So he's looking like he's telling the truth and his alibi is checking out. Right. When he got back home after his drive so that he could think, he said he was met at the door by a crying Patty who was claiming that Cinny had tried to kill her. Patty told police that Linda had been trying to be extra nice to Cinnamon, but Cinnamon had been distancing herself more and more from the family. She said she had even agreed to let Cinnamon share her bedroom with her when she moved in. She told officers that Cinnamon had started to talk about killing herself with a gun, but Patty would tell her how much she loved her and always tried to cheer her up. Patty sounds like a dirtbag too, except she's manipulated into that dirtbag role. She's been groomed by this man since she was seven years old. Yeah. So I don't call her a dirtbag either. She's totally brainwashed though. Mm-hmm. And she's still a child at this point. Mm-hmm. Patty said Linda went to bed early that night after arguing with David about Crystal and that as she was going to bed herself around midnight, Cinnamon asked her if she could show her how to use a gun. Patty asked her why and Cinnamon had said, just in case someone breaks in. So Patty said she showed her how to use the gun and then went to bed. Okay. She may be 17, but really, if she was worried about somebody committing suicide, are you really going to show them how to use a gun? Right. That does not add up. No, it doesn't. She claims she awoke later to gunshots. She said she saw Cinnamon standing by her bed, but that she ran out of the room. And this is when she claimed that Cinnamon was going to kill her. Yeah. Patty said Crystal was crying, so she ran and fetched the baby and took her back into her room with her, terrified. Patty told police that she stayed in her room until she heard a knock at the door, followed by a key opening the lock. That's when she left her room because she thought David was finally home. Why would David knock on his own door? Exactly. David later says, no, I didn't knock. I just got my keys. But I think Patty slipped up and said he knocked. And I think he did that so that Patty would know that that's me. I'm here. I'm going to knock on the door and then you'll hear my keys. Or I'm going to knock so you can tell me. Is it okay to come in? Yeah, who knows? But she had said he knocked and then she could hear the keys. But police Mm -hmm. were like, oh, that's weird. Yeah. Why would you ever knock on your own door? Yeah. And David was like, no, I didn't knock. She must be mistaken. I didn't knock. But she's also in a state of shock at the time and all of that. Patty and David said they checked the entire house except for the master bedroom because he was afraid to see blood. And that Patty checked around the outside of the house for cinnamon but couldn't find her. The one that had just attempted to kill her? Yes. And now she's going to look for her? Yep. Yeah, that doesn't add up either. Right. Police noticed that there were no signs of forced entry. Patty also said that David first called his father to ask him what he should do. She said, when I came back in the house, he was on the phone with his dad. being like, dad, what should I do? Uh, you called 911. Exactly. His father had that sense and told him, you hang up and call 911. And that's when David called police. So he doesn't even call police right when he first gets home. They're checking out the house, sends Patty outside to look for cinnamon, and then calls his dad like, what should I do? Yeah, because he's got to give Linda time to die. Mm-hmm. David later beat himself up over being so upset over his argument with Linda that he forgot to set the house alarm this one and only time. Wait, that doesn't make any sense either. I know, but that's what he said. He's telling police, I always set the alarm religiously. I never forget, but I was so upset when I left the house that I didn't set it. Yeah, his stories aren't jiving because if it's Cinnamon that's killed her, then she would know the alarm for the house. So that wouldn't stop her anyway. So what would setting the alarm do? I don't know. And really, are you setting the alarm when your kid's out in the backyard sleeping in the trailer? If she knew the alarm, maybe they still did. Yeah, but then what does setting the alarm do to keep out Cinnamon, who they're already trying to pin it on? I think his motive in saying this was what a protective father I am. 
you know, I always try to protect them. Like this was the only time I didn't set the alarm because I was so upset and Mm -hmm. I couldn't sleep because I'm such a sensitive guy. And I was really affected by my little argument with my wife. Mm -hmm. Insert eye roll. If you couldn't tell by now, Patty and David were totally throwing cinnamon under the bus. They wanted her to take the fall so that they could be together. Police tested Patty and David for GSR, which is gunshot residue, and sent out officers to look for cinnamon. David tried to help by giving them suggestions as to where she might have run off to, even giving them her mother's address. Despite Patty and David alluding to Cinnamon as the perpetrator, police at this point didn't know if Cinnamon was the shooter or a victim herself. They continued to physically look for her as well as call the homes of some of her friends to see if she had turned up there. They just wanted to find this girl. Mm -hmm. The Brown home had turned into a full-on crime scene. David's parents had come over to comfort them. There were nine investigators at the site, two ambulance drivers, two paramedics, and six firefighters there as well at one point. Officer Fred McLean noticed that there was a puppy inside the trailer where Cinnamon was reportedly living. The dog had been in there a while and had pooped inside the trailer. Amongst the chaos, officers decided to put the small dog in the pen behind the garage where the family's other three dogs were. When he stepped over the fence, he saw that there were red dog houses lined up near the back of the garage. He walked over and realized that the largest dog house was not empty. This was at 6.50 a.m., hours after first receiving the call. So was she actually hiding because of what she did, or had they drugged her and put her in there, hoping that she would die too? While inside the dog house, he saw Cinnamon laying in a fetal position. Her hair had fallen across her face. He grabbed her hand, and she squeezed his hand in return, letting him know that she was alive. Cinnamon had been laying in her own urine and copious amounts of vomit. Inside the vomit, police could clearly see what looked like to have been a large number of pills. Had she taken them purposely, or had they forced her to take them? I'll explain it. Okay. Yeah. Now I'm in protective mode. I know. I know. And that poor child had wet herself because of the trauma that she had been through. Or I don't know if it was from the drugs, if her bladder let go, but she was urine soaked and in a fetal position, in a fetal position and vomit all around her, which you could still see undigested pills in. Some of it was digested, like her vomit through the whole night is bright orange, which was the color of one of the pills. Mm. Prior to David leaving the house, he gave Cinnamon all those pills and told her to take them. He had her write a fake suicide note and told her to shoot the gun at herself after she killed Linda. He told Cinnamon to just graze the side of her head. And I wrote, what? "What?" Exactly. (laughs) He has convinced Cinnamon that she needs to protect him and that's why she needs to kill Linda. Okay. Yeah. That's a wonky story, but I can see how Cinnamon would believe that. How in the heck does making her write a suicide note and grazing the side of her head with a bullet fit into protecting him? He told her that she would just have to see a psychiatrist. So by faking her own suicide, it's going to show how mentally disturbed she is. And she's going to get the psychiatric help that she quote unquote needs, which she is going to need after this. Absolutely. So after giving his 14 year old daughter enough pills to kill her, he wanted her to shoot at her own head after murdering his wife to fake a suicide attempt. So was it his true intention then to actually have her die? I believe so. I think it's clear with the amount of drugs that he gave her that he would have preferred her out of the picture completely. He's telling her this is going to be pretend. Mm -hmm. You're going to pretend to kill yourself. 
Because he doesn't tell them where she is. No. The plan was for her to go to the doghouse and lay in the doghouse and hide there. And so... And he's the one that gave her the dosing for the pills. Yep. And did they do a toxicology report? Did they know, like, was that a lethal dose that she took? I'll talk about it. Okay, sorry. But isn't this so wild, this case, so far? I cannot imagine a parent doing this to their child. No. No, he absolutely wanted her dead. I think he would have felt, too, that if she had died, it would have been an open and shut case. Yep. She did it. Here's her suicide note. He laid out the plot line perfectly for the police. Yes. The officer was shocked at what a tiny and seemingly harmless suspect Cinnamon was. As he carried her out of the doghouse, he noticed that she had a piece of pink cardboard rolled up like a scroll, tied with a purple ribbon, clutched tightly in her hand. He had to pry it from her fingers. The note said, quote, Dear God, please forgive me. I didn't mean to hurt her. This note confirmed the suspicion that Cinnamon might be the killer. Instead of a hospital, Cinnamon was taken to the Garden Grove police station where she continued to vomit and complained of a headache. She was examined by paramedics but was deemed stable with a warning that her condition could change quickly. Uh, yeah, you take her to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Why did she not get proper medical treatment? They had the paramedics there monitoring her. Yeah, monitoring her with what equipment? Yeah, I don't know. That's not okay. I know. You take her to the hospital. Absolutely. I agree. You don't know how much she's ingested or how much time those drugs take to take effect in her little body? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Because she was not a big girl. She was tiny. Oh, so many things could go wrong with that. And just because she looks okay at the moment, she needs to be monitored. Well, I think she should have been taken to the hospital right away and long before she eventually is. Absolutely. Mm Mm-hmm. I knew this case was going to evoke some emotion in you. I just hate when, like, she's clearly so vulnerable and nobody is protecting her. Well, she's been painted as this really troubled teen who's in and out of trouble and has just cold-bloodedly murdered her stepmother. Doesn't matter. She still needs to be protected, even from a medical standpoint. I agree. At this time, they tested her also for gunshot residue. Cinnamon asked if everyone in the house was okay. She was especially concerned about her dad. Oh, mm-hmm. that's like a dagger to the heart that yeah. she's concerned about that dirtbag. Yeah, who wanted to just leave her there to die. When asked, Cinnamon told police that she had ingested three full bottles of pills. Investigators determined later that if she had in fact taken all three bottles when full, she would have taken 260 capsules. Because she was alive, they estimated that the bottles couldn't have been completely full but that she still had taken a deadly amount and likely would have been dead had she not vomited so much. Her blood was also taken at this time for a tox screen. Cinnamon was allowed to clean up and then was interviewed by the officer who found her, Fred McLean. When he asked her why she thought she was at the police station, she said because she hurt Linda, that she had shot her. Cinnamon seemed to be in shock and did not appear to be the unruly teenager that had been described to him by her father and Patty. Cinnamon admitted to firing the gun three times, once in Patty's room by accident and twice at Linda. In her initial interview, Cinnamon seemed incoherent and was contradicting her own statements. Yeah, because she's drugged up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I read part of the interview and McLean had to keep calling her name to get her to focus. He's like, Cinnamon, Cinnamon. And then a couple minutes later, he'd be like, Cinnamon. And it would show like in caps, like he was having to yell it, like to keep her alert. Because she's passing out? Yeah. Cinnamon's condition continued to worsen, and she was rushed to the Garden Grove Medical Center. Because it takes time for pills to be digested. I know. (laughs) I can see the protective nurse of (laughs) Melissa coming out right now. (laughs) 
A female officer accompanied her, and over the next few hours, Cinnamon kept blurting out statements that she had already told the other officer, almost like they were rehearsed in her mind. Things like how Linda wanted to kill her and was abusive to the baby, and she needed to protect her. Cinnamon, Not her dad? No, he doesn't want to be in this story at all. It's because... She's hurting her baby. Yeah, because the fight with his mom was... was about parenting. Yeah, it was about letting your baby cry it out versus going to your baby. Hmm. That has nothing to do with the case, but that's what they were fighting about. And so I think that was to put in their mind that, well, she's just going to let our baby cry it out. She doesn't really care for the baby. She just wants to let her cry and cry and cry. And I can't do that because I'm such a caring father. He is a storyteller. Yep. Master manipulator. As Cinnamon continued to drift in and out of consciousness, work at the crime scene continued. David took Patty and Crystal and went to stay at his parents' house so authorities could work but not before grabbing a few of his valuables, like his expensive Rolex watch. Your wife has just been murdered. You think your daughter killed her, and you're worried about your expensive watch. Well, he needs to know what time it is, Christy. I guess. It's time to get a life, David. The evidence seemed to match up to Cinnamon's statements. This guy goes to jail, right? You're gonna have to wait. Linda's autopsy determined that she was shot first from no further than six inches away, right in between her breasts. The second shot was estimated to be from about 12 to 20 inches away. Both shots were fired within minutes of one another, and neither bullet had exited the body. This accounted for less blood at the crime scene than you might have expected, as most of her bleeding was internal. One bullet had grazed her right lung and then punctured the superior vena cava, which is a large vein that runs to the heart. This injury is what caused her to bleed to death. The second bullet entered the right lung. The autopsy determined that Cinnamon had to get close and personal to kill her stepmother. The bullet in Patty's room indicated that it had gone off by accident and not by Cinnamon trying to shoot and kill Patty. Oh, how did they determine that? Apparently what had happened is the gun wouldn't work the second time she tried to shoot Linda. So she went into Patty's room to get Patty to help her to get the gun to work and it accidentally went off as they were trying to fix it. So then she ran back into, because they said they were only a minute apart. So she shot her, ran into Patty's room. Yeah. And what I had read in one account was that she, her dad had said, put a pillow over the gun to muffle the sound. And so the pillow got stuck in the trigger. And so when they tried to pull the pillow out, it went off. It went off when they tried to dislodge Mm -hmm. it. And so then she ran back in and shot her the second time. So this was adding up to Cinnamon's statement of this is what happened. Right. And her dad told her that she needed to be shot twice, like once wasn't enough. How traumatizing would that be to have to go back in that room to see the blood, even if there wasn't a lot, and shoot the person now awake again? Yeah, I don't know if David told her to shoot her twice, but she hadn't died. And I don't think she was dead right away even. No. And so she just went back in like, I think she's still alive. I got to shoot her again. And maybe her dad had said, you have to make sure she's dead. Dead. I'm not sure. Okay. But the way that the bullet was too, it was clear that she hadn't shot at Patty. Like it Mm -hmm. had went upwards, like it was an accident. So the evidence added up, but it still didn't sit right with the lead officer, McLean. Cinnamon's defense team had her plead not guilty by reason of insanity. Cinnamon was sticking to the plan and not telling authorities about the murder scheme that included her father or Linda's sister. She believed and trusted her father that she would only get a slap on the wrist. Cinnamon was described as a cold-blooded murderer. The district attorney described her as depressed and angry and suggested that her motive for murder was because Linda was going to kick Cinnamon out of the house. Were there any records of her having any treatment for this supposed depression before? No, because her dad said, I urged her to go to counseling. I begged her to go, but she said, if you force me, I'm going to kill myself. So then he left the issue alone. 
But usually you would have a discussion even with your family doctor that would be documented. No, not that I could find anything like that. Because I believe they're lies. Yeah. I don't think anyone's household is perfect. Maybe she did fight with Linda sometimes, but it didn't sound like it, to be honest. Like it wasn't anything out of the ordinary. And even with Cinnamon staying in the trailer, if that was even true, she probably was just having fun staying out there. She maybe even asked, can I stay in the trailer? I wonder if he was just waiting for the opportunity, like, okay, we've had a little bit of a fight here. I can spin this just the way I want to. Oh, probably. And then that's why he had to wake them up in the middle of the night. This is the night we're doing it because, you know, I can figure out a story to cover this one. Yep. Because he was prepared. He had the gun there. He had, like, later they find a bunch of bullets that were in the house. Mm -hmm. Cinnamon indeed would not get a slap on the wrist like her father had promised. Instead, she got a slap in the face by him himself. David testified against his daughter Cinnamon at her trial. No. Yes. He told the court that she was moody leading up to the murder, had spoken about suicide, and he admitted to showing her how to shoot a gun just the night before the shooting. No way. And so why is he testifying now that he showed her how to shoot the gun? Because I thought Patty was the one that showed her how to shoot the gun. They both said they showed her how. Just the night before. How convenient. Yep. Oh, my goodness. Was he interviewed for the prosecution as a hostile witness? I'm not sure which side. I believe it was for the prosecution because he was testifying against her. And right from the start, he was throwing her under the bus, letting them believe, wanting them to believe that it was his daughter, Cinnamon. That was the plan right from the beginning. Cinnamon, you have to do it. You're only 14. They're not going to throw you in jail. And so he's probably still telling her, I still have to tell them that you did it. Like they have to believe you did it because I'll go to jail for a long time. You won't even have to go. Does he visit her while she's in jail? He does at the beginning, and then it veers off, where he's starting to not hardly come at all. Cinnamon's defense team had her grandmother and mother testify to try and help their legally insane at the time of the murder claim. Her grandmother, Manuela, so David's mom, stated that Cinnamon had many imaginary friends and had been depressed over her parents' divorce and over David's marriage to Linda. All believable for a teenage moody girl. For sure. Who wouldn't be? Yeah. Brenda Sands, Cinnamon's mother, also testified, saying that Cinnamon had called her and stated that she felt like she was going crazy from all the fighting in the house. Brenda said she didn't believe that her daughter was guilty. She described her by saying, quote, She's a very sweet, a very nice, a very polite girl. She just wanted to do nice things for other people. Little did she know the extent of that claim, that her daughter would even kill for someone she loved. And so had her dad put her up to all these calls to their mother? I don't know that. Okay. I'm not sure. But sometimes as a kid, you are going to get mad at your parents, your stepmom. You're going to, you know, vent and complain. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And when you're looking at those little things in the moment, I'm sure her mom thought they were nothing. But then when somebody else has told you that your child's murdered somebody, then you start looking and replaying and looking more into those conversations. Right. And you can read into more than what was actually there. Mm -hmm. It shines a different light. That's right. Despite her defense team's best efforts, in September of 1986, Cinnamon Brown was found guilty and sentenced to 27 years to life in prison. That is a long sentence for a juvenile. Mm-hmm. Because she was only 14, she would be allowed to serve her time at a juvenile jail until the age of 25, when she then would be transferred automatically to an adult prison. But 14 years old, can you imagine how she felt getting that sentence of 27 years to life? Like I might not even get out in 27 years. No. And if she was a decent person before she went into juvie at 14, by the time she gets out at 25, the chances of her being that sweet, kind girl anymore are very slim. 
Oh, absolutely. You put this traumatic experience of murdering her stepmom, mm-hmm. the betrayal by her dad, and then you throw her in juvie. Yeah, it's not going to be. It's not going to end well. No, it's not going to be the right mix for no. her. Cinnamon spent her time in a California Youth Authority facility taking school classes, working a computer job for the prison, exercising, and doing needlepoint. She didn't get into trouble, and when anyone asked her about the murder, she insisted that she couldn't remember. She was still covering for her dad. And this is when he's starting to taper off his relationship or contact with her. Yep. While his precious daughter Cinnamon was in prison, David started to live it up. He collected his copious amounts of insurance benefits and secretly married Linda's younger sister, Patty Bailey. He paid $350,000 cash for a beautiful home in Anaheim Hills for them to live in. So today that would be like $950,000 for a home. That's so crazy. Yep. For him and his new little wife. And all the police are thinking that they've solved this case. So they're not looking into his activity as being suspicious after the fact. Right. And they didn't tell anybody that they got married. He's just still taking care of his dead wife's younger sister. Oh, how kind of him. Right. The one he molested since she was seven. Yep. And if I have the dates right, he actually married Patty while Cinnamon was still on trial. Because they got married in July of 1986. Her trial's not even over and he's already married Patty. And so she must be cluing in then that they had a relationship. She doesn't know. At first she didn't didn't even tell her? No, they did not tell anybody. Not too long afterwards, though, Patty got pregnant and gave birth to another daughter of David's. David told Cinnamon that his health was declining but he was doing everything he possibly could to get her out of jail. So she's spending his hundreds of thousands of dollars. Right. Shacked up with his child bride, having another baby. His second child bride. Yeah. And who knows if those other ones were child brides too. Cinnamon patiently waited three years in jail for her father to help her as promised until she learned about the insurance policies he collected and that he had married his dead wife's teenage sister. So finally she finds out three years later. At this time, Cinnamon decided that she would be silent no longer. She realized that he was willing to let her rot in prison while he lived his best life. It was time to tell authorities everything, and so she did. I can just see this transformation that is occurring to her in Juvie. Yep. Right? She went in there super, super innocent, believing that her dad is this knight in shining armor that she's protecting. Mm Mm-hmm. And then as she would get more and more exposure to other people in juvie, she'd lose all of that innocence and then so would start to question. And she's getting a little older. Like Mm -hmm. she would now be 17, right? Yeah, that's what I mean. Like she's no longer that naive little 14-year-old. Right, where the sun rises and sets on daddy. Cinnamon agreed to try and get David to incriminate himself on tape. She wore a wire and told her dad that he needed to come see her so they could talk. Apparently, he had stopped coming as frequently to see her, but he got antsy when she said they needed to talk, so he came right away to see her. He wanted to calm this down. I need to shut this down. Mm -hmm. Of course, on August 13th, 1988, he did incriminate himself. He admitted to giving her the drugs to take and said that she couldn't tell the truth or they would all end up behind bars. He then told her he would try to get Patty to take the blame so that she could be released. Oh, because he needs a new child bride by this time, right? She's already had a baby. Well, and he told her that he couldn't do it himself because his poor health wouldn't take being locked up in prison. What, does he have cancer again? Who knows? He's such a liar. I know. David came back on August 27th with Patty to see Cinnamon. During this visit, Patty tried to convince her with lies that she would take the fall so Cinnamon could get out of jail. David told her to just keep claiming that she didn't remember anything about that night. 
So he's basically saying, just keep quiet. We're working on this. Mm -hmm. And Patty's like, yeah, yeah, I'll take the blame. Like, just don't worry. Just be quiet. After this visit, three weeks later in September 1988, both David and his sixth wife, Patty, were arrested. On May 11th, 1989, Patty pled guilty to being an accomplice and testified against her husband, David, at his pre-trial in January 1989, along with Cinnamon. She also testified against him at the pre-trial. Patty admitted to loading the gun and handing it to Cinnamon to kill her sister under David's persuasion. Patty also stated that she was in love with her sister's husband and wanted him all for herself. She said, quote, I wanted her dead. I loved Linda. I loved David more. And remember, she had been groomed and manipulated by this man since her childhood. I do have to keep reminding myself of that because she sounds like a big dirtbag, too. Yeah. But she's a victim in this as well, I believe. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I would agree. Because she was a minor and had cooperated with the police, Patty was sentenced to spend time in the Youth Authority facility until she was 25. David tried to deny everything, even his marriage to Patty. What? He even said he was afraid of Patty because he thinks she was the one who actually killed her sister. Oh, what about yeah. their love child together? Well, he's pretending this isn't his child even. Like, what? oh, she just got pregnant. Yeah. She's just a promiscuous teen and got pregnant and I'm taking care of them all. David could see his case crumbling around him. He found out about the recording and knew that Patty had turned on him by telling the truth. He knew he had to do something to avoid jail. So are you ready? Does he commit suicide? No. While he was in jail awaiting trial in February of 1989, David hired a hitman to kill his wife, Patty, and the two main guys working this case. Lead investigator, Jay Newell, and deputy district attorney, Jeffrey Robinson. David figured that if he had them both killed, he could invoke his right to a speedy trial and the new people wouldn't have as much time to prepare for the trial. Killing Patty would stop her from testifying against him. David offered this man more than half a million dollars to complete the hits. That is wild. Just no regard for anyone else's life but his own. No, just totally selfish. Yeah. These are the mothers of his children even. And then the two lead guys on his case... And we do know murderers that have been let off because they didn't receive a speedy trial. That is a right that they have Mm -hmm. that they can invoke. What David didn't know is that the man he hired to carry out the hits went to the police instead. Yes. It was a guy that he had met in jail. Police were able to see money sent to the hired man's account from David for the job. So now they've got physical proof he sent him these money transfers. Once again, being recorded, David was told that the murders he ordered were complete. The guy comes back to him and is like, it's done. David responded by basically telling the guy, well done. Good job. After finding out that his new wife Mm -hmm. is dead. Good job. Yeah. And these two innocent men that have families and lives are murdered. But I don't expect him to have regard for them because he doesn't even have regard for these people that he lives with and is married to. Right. And the way he says it as if you came up to me and was like, I got my garden planted. And I'm like, well done. Good job. Oh, my goodness. Just so callous about it. So crazy. David went on trial in 1990 and was found guilty on June 15th of his part in the murder of his wife, Linda Brown. Both Cinnamon and Patty testified against him in court. Please tell me he gets the longest sentence. He has to get the longest sentence, right? (laughs) He does. Okay, good. David pled guilty to the conspiracy to commit murder-related charges for Patty, Newell, and Robinson. The judge called David a master manipulator, who was more chilling than Charles Manson. He told him that he was also lucky that the prosecution did not ask for the death penalty. David was sentenced to life imprisonment 
without the possibility of parole for orchestrating Linda's murder, plus six concurrent years for the conspiracy to commit murder charges. The judge is like, you're lucky. I would have put you to death. But since that's not what they asked for, you're never getting out. Yep. And good. He shouldn't. Because think of the damage he could do. Like, he's such a good manipulator. Yeah. David filed for an appeal in 1992, but it was declined. And I read through the appeal, and it was ridiculous, the reasons. He had so many reasons to why he should be allowed to appeal his case, but it was declined, thankfully. He was first sent to the state prison in Sacramento, California. In 2001, he was transferred to the facility in Corcoran, California. His health had declined by this time, and he was wheelchair-bound. So maybe he did have some things going on. Okay. I shouldn't have been so callous about that. (laughs) Or maybe it was karma. (laughs) Yes. I kind of hope it was karma. (laughs) People said he was quiet and kept to himself in prison. Part of me is surprised by that because he seems like such a schemer. I know. Maybe what prevented that is that part of the time that he was incarcerated, he was actually held in protective custody because of the notoriety of his case. Mm. He was a pedophile and had brought his daughter to murder his wife. There we go again. Protecting pedophiles. Yep. Kirkoran state prison officials said that David died of natural causes in 2014 at the age of 61 inside the prison hospital. Good riddance. Exactly. (laughs) You took the words right out of my mouth. (laughs) Is that what you had written? No, but I was just thinking it. (laughs) Neither Patty nor Cinnamon ever had anything more to do with David after he was incarcerated. To further prove what a dirtbag David was, after he plotted and orchestrated his wife's death, David did not fulfill his wife's resting place instructions. What? Linda and David, while they were married, had discussed both wanting to be cremated, and Linda had told David exactly where she wanted her ashes scattered. David decided that it wouldn't be fair to their daughter to not have a place to visit her mother, and so after cremation, he had her ashes buried instead. The real kicker? On her gravestone, he had the following inscription, quote, Your love, kindness, caring, and beauty will shine forever. Love, Crystal, and David. So his name is on her gravestone. That is so... I know. And I wrote here, are you serious? David, you put her in that grave. You want your daughter Crystal to be able to visit her mother, but you're the one who put her in the ground. It's your fault. Yeah. He got away with this, though, because no one knew yet his horrific secret, that he was actually to blame for Linda's murder. So he got to play the grieving husband. Before I give you an update of Cinnamon and Patty, I want to include how this case influenced the media. I will share just a few, but there could most likely be a lot more. There was an award-winning four-hour two-part movie made called Love, Lies, and Murder in 1991 based on this case. Apparently it's really good and I'm going to watch it now, but I never like to watch a movie version unless it's a documentary before I've done my research because I don't want it to taint if they've exaggerated parts, right? We've been saying this whole time that this story sounds like a movie. So, and apparently it's a really good one. Like it it did well. Well, that's what we're doing our next movie night then. Right? Because we don't get enough true crime. (laughs) Cinnamon later comments on the movie and was like, she wished that they hadn't made the movie. Oh, maybe we shouldn't watch it then. Yeah, maybe. But that was also when she was young that she said that. I don't know how she feels about it now. There have also been two well-known books written about this case. One is called A Killing in the Family by Stephen Singular, Tim Hill, and Daniel Hill. The other book I actually used in my research for this case, it is written by the queen of true crime authors, Anne Rule. It is titled If You Really Loved Me, because that is what David said to Cinnamon before he instructed her to kill Linda that night. Remember, if you really loved me, you'll do this for me. 
1991, Cinnamon was a guest on the Oprah Winfrey Show via satellite from prison. Author Anne Rule was also a guest on this episode with Cinnamon. In this interview, she told Oprah that the hardest realization was that when she realized that her dad had intended for her to die alongside Linda. When she declined shooting the side of her head for him, she said he gave her 80 pills to swallow, which turned out to be more than three times the lethal dose. He knew she was laying in the doghouse, since that was part of the plan, and he just let the police search for her for hours, likely hoping she would be dead when they finally found her. That is so despicable. Patty was released from the California Youth Authority when she turned 25. She served four years for her part in her sister's murder. Patty was able to gain custody back of her daughter that she had with David and has been able to reconnect with Linda and David's daughter, Crystal, as well. Patty married again, and I believe she gave birth to twin boys. Okay. Crystal, Linda's daughter, is said to have a Facebook page dedicated to her mother who was taken too soon from this earth. She reportedly wanted to meet with Cinnamon, but I am unsure if that ever happened. And where is Cinnamon now? Cinnamon was released on parole from the California Youth Authority in 1992 after serving seven years. When David was finally convicted of his crimes, Assistant District Attorney Jeffrey Robinson said, quote, Had Cinnamon Brown not decided to come forward, we would still be wondering why David Brown is still out flourishing. But for Cinnamon Brown's courageous decision, David Brown would still be a leech on society. Robinson continued to say about Cinnamon, The real story is the courage of this kid who was abandoned by her family a 14-year-old kid who was completely brainwashed for a number of years by her father, who herself has been the victim of terrible crimes and has now paid her debt to society, maybe even more of a debt than she should have. Yet, her battle will be a very, very tough one because her case is of such a high profile, a girl who has been earmarked as a killer for the rest of her life. He said Cinnamon, quote, lost her adolescence in that she was incarcerated from the age of 14 to 21. So it will be a somewhat difficult transition for her to now come back to society. But I believe that she is of the character that can and will do it. And he was right. Oh, good. Last I could find, she was living in Orange County and was working hard. She earned her high school diploma and completed an associate of art degree. Cinnamon has done her best to live a low profile life. She married after being released from prison, but sadly her husband committed suicide. She married once more, a man who works in law enforcement and has been living a good and happy life ever since. She deserves a little bit of happiness. She does. I couldn't find anything else. She's tried to live low profile and hopefully she's been able to do that. So I didn't include what her new married name is. And that is the complicated and multifaceted story of a young girl manipulated and coerced by her dirtbag father to viciously murder her own stepmother while she slept in her bed, a girl willing to kill to save her father's life, the courageous yet criminal Cinnamon Brown. That is a crazy case. Isn't that wild? Yes. And I totally agree. It sounds like it's straight out of the movies. Doesn't it? Mm-hmm. And so do you agree with my decision to not call her a dirtbag and give that label to David? Absolutely. Yes, she murdered a person, but I don't believe she would have had it not been because of her father's manipulation and influence. Mm-hmm. And all along, he's this pedophile, gross human being. Bizarre. Mm-hmm. He just made me so angry. <laughs> I know. It is just really tragic all around. Mm -hmm. But I'm actually pleasantly surprised that she made something of her life afterwards. And that does speak a lot to her character. 
It because totally I can't imagine growing up those formative years in juvie. Especially after that happening. Like I cannot even imagine the PTSD that would occur after shooting somebody at the age of 14. Mm-hmm. Like someone's sleeping. It's not even like it's something self-defense. Like, But she was thinking it was self-defense on her father's terms right to save him yeah yeah but to do it from close range and then have to go back in Mm -hmm. oh I couldn't imagine no well that was an interesting case where you showed us that the dirtbag isn't always the murderer true it's a different take for sure but that's it for me this week and Melissa will have another case for us in just seven days but until then we hope you have a wonderful week see ya bye can do it if you don't already know i'm the recluse in our relationship (laughs) where is she i'd give her a big kiss right now because you caught that sorry i'm just musing i'll shut up now no our whole point is to discuss the case (laughs) melissa okay we won't say this because i'm being recorded anyway (laughs) i don't want any recorded evidence (laughs) officer fred mclean mclean McLean? Lean? McLean? 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 Officer Fred McLean. 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 Officer Fred McLean. I can't say that. McLean. So, So, okay, hold on. So, after. (laughs) No, no, no. Okay, go ahead. (laughs) Come on, Crispy, get there. (laughs) Well, I I do, but I'm all here. (laughs) I just love how you think, like, I'm not going to tell you things. (laughs) I have words in here that shouldn't be. (laughs) What's going on with my body? That was a whole bunch of sounds there, Christy. I don't know what was happening. <laughs> My chest is like, oh, don't be shot. Oh. I haven't watched a good werewolf or vampire movie in a long time. <laughs> he's just a little spider on that web that he's woven that you want to just stomp on. I was going to say bye again. <laughs> it's like, see ya. You said bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye now. Hey, we're live, pal, and we'd love for you to come check out our podcast, Tales from the Estate. Each week, we talk about our top five favorite somethings. My beautiful wife, Caitlin, likes to share all sorts of random facts. Yeah. Did you know that cows have accents? We did now. But we also review all sorts of snacks and other great things. And so if you love everything random, I think you'd enjoy Tales from the Estate. So come check us out. Yeah. Okay, thanks. Bye. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.